0: Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Are you pumped? I'm pumped. Today's guest joins us all the way from Australia. He's an incredibly successful online marketing expert, a best-selling author of Feed a Starving Crowd, which he currently offers for free on his website, so I'll be letting you know how to get that later. He's known for his practical advice for entrepreneurs and wannabe entrepreneurs who'd like to launch an online business. Recently, he's been listed by Startup Australia as one of Australia's top 50 entrepreneurs, and he currently serves as the Director of Global Business at eWeb Marketing, which is Australia's top online marketing agency. His name is Robert Khoury. Robert is also the co-creator and lead host of the upcoming reality TV show called Business Rescue. This is a TV pilot which takes struggling companies through a maze of marketing challenges over the course of just 30 days. I can't wait to watch it. Three takeaways from our interview with Robert. One, his early earliest money memory and what he learned from it. Two, how to test the market for your new business idea. And three, what Robert recommends we do with our lottery winnings. All great advice. Here we go, unleashing Robert Corey. Robert, welcome to So Money. A pleasure to have you. Good day, mate. I'm happy to be here as
1: well. How are you?
0: <laughs> Is that so lame of me to say? You're in Australia, I figured. Um, it's cultural. Is that am I totally out of bounds here?
1: We might give you a passport if you keep saying it too often.
0: (laughs) Right. This Persian girl from Brooklyn trying to pull off an Australian accent. Clearly not a native. Um, But I I am excited to speak to you. You're my first... uh, Like, you're the furthest away I've ever spoken to on this podcast.
1: Look, you know... Even in Australia, we do have some idea of things that work in business and in money. So Apparently. I'm I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, we know one or two things.
0: You do absolutely. No, I don't mean any dismissive. I don't mean to, to be dismissive at all. I am actually in awe of of so many um, Australians who are not only experts in business and marketing, but as having started this podcast, I find there's this community of uh, podcasters in Australia who've actually reached out to me. Um, and, and, you know, just to support me and, um, I, I, feel really, uh, I feel really lucky to, to have, you know, these, these relationships, uh, so far away, but you're, you're a very kind country, I must say. And I don't know anybody there except you at this point, but, um, thank you for joining me, I guess is what I really want to say.
1: Oh, Hey, you know, our two countries have been allies for a very long yes. time, you know, over a hundred years now. So we, we, if, only we yeah, so yeah. if only you were closer,
0: yes, if only you were closer, well, Robert, yeah. you are, uh, you're amazing. You're, you're up to a lot of work these days. You are a marketing expert. I also would like to talk about your book, Feed a Starving Crowd. Uh, you wrote this a little bit, um, a little while ago, a short while ago in 2014. And what I really enjoy about this book is that it has actionable advice for those wanting to start a business in any market and specifically those who are bootstrapping this, you know, are on a budget, have a shoestring budget what is your biggest advice for somebody i know many people on this podcast who have visions of starting their business but maybe don't have a lot of capital what would be your advice to that person
1: Look, that's a great question because this is the same mistake that i made when i started my first business about six years ago what i did was i started the business and i thought that it would just go well because i started it i didn't have any evidence that anybody wanted to buy what i was selling. It was a video production business. And when I went to businesses, I said, look, you guys need to put video on your website. You know, YouTube's getting better and video is the new thing and you need it. And I was coming off a big corporate salary at the time. Quit that. Started this video business. I worked the hardest I've worked my whole life. Me and my wife both worked double full time in the business, not just full-time, like nine to five. Like it was nine to five and then five to midnight, you know, after dinner. Yeah. So we just Killed ourselves. Made $30,000 the whole year, 30, between two of us. And I think my biggest insight from that experience was that we weren't feeding a starving crowd, so to speak. Like we were selling people things that they didn't necessarily want or need. Like I was telling them that they needed to do video, but they didn't really ask for video. They didn't really want video. And so one, if you're starting out a business, the most important thing is to make sure that people actually want to buy what you're selling. And I call that feeding a starving crowd.
0: Mm. The market is so saturated though, you know, it almost feels like, yes, the crowd is there, but how do I, how do I get in front of that crowd? How do I really stand out? And it seems like there's so many hacks to getting of the market. It's not enough anymore to have a Twitter following. It's not enough anymore to have a blog. It seems like every day we expect more and more and more of people who are trying to sell to us. It's getting harder to get in front of that crowd, what would you say to that? To that skepticism?
1: Look, I agree. I think it's it's never been more cutthroat than it is right now. Like everyone's got some sort of idea about online marketing, and they've right you know, someone's pitched them Google AdWords or you know Facebook advertising or something like that. If, but if you go back five or ten years ago, a lot of people didn't have a website back then, so it definitely has got a lot harder. What tends to happen is that depending on what kind of market that you're in, but people are really, they just love storytelling. And I mean, if you, can, if you can really show that you can get results for people with your business, so if you provide any sort of business service that provides a transformation for people where you can take them from where they are today to where they want to be, if you can show stories and examples of times you've done that in the past, generally speaking, that's all you really need to make a business successful. Like I've had clients where if you've got between five or 10 stories of people you've helped, and you can tell those stories eloquently and in a transformational sense. That's all you need, because people can see that you've got a proven track record of helping others, and they'll come to you. It, it's really not that complicated.
0: It's simple, actually. It sounds like it's going back to the tradition of uh, the power of the word and your story, and keeping things consistent.
1: Definitely, because people are sick of getting pitched to. You know, if you have a look at all right. the advertising and everyone's saying buy my stuff and download my free book and you know uh, get my free course or whatever it is. But the thing is, people now are tired of that. And the best way to communicate with people is through stories because it doesn't feel like you're pitching. Like mm-hmm. if you just keep telling stories about people that you've helped and the transformations they've had in their lives, that does not feel like a sales pitch and it's actually enjoyable for your prospective buyers to enjoy that. So that's, that's my number one tip with any new business, it's just simply, Get results with people and then tell those stories and, and whatever that looks like.
0: Right, right. And and also, right, it takes time. The internet, I think, because there's, it's an anomaly, right? The internet is fast. The internet is immediate. It's instantly gratifying. You want to buy something, boom, you can buy it. However, if you're on the other side of that deal and you're trying to sell, it's not going to be this overnight success, that your story has to build momentum and a following and a community around it that could take years, frankly, to really get to the point where now you're in a place where your audience is prepared and willing to buy from you.
1: Certainly. And in my book, I've got some strategies where you can shortcut that process a bit. So what I normally recommend, and it's in chapter two of my book, is that people go out and pre-sell the service before they actually build it. Now it might sound a bit weird, like why would you sell something before you've even built it? But the thing is, it works and it really validates that there's an appetite there for what you're selling. Um, I've done this before in my business. So a few years ago when I wanted to start an online course, I could have done it one of two ways. I could have spent six months building the course, writing the course and then sold it or, which is what I decided to do, I took option two where I actually sold the course first. And I had 500 people that came to an online seminar that I ran about the course over the course of a few weeks. I ran a few different sessions. And out of those 500 people, eight people bought my course for $1,000 each. So I knew that eight people were happy to pay money for this course and I had a market. Now some people might say, well, but 492 people didn't buy, so you were a failure. Well, no, I still think, you know, I spent a couple of weeks of my life and I made $8,000. Most people would be pretty happy with that equation. Right. And From there I scaled it up and I advertised to more and more people and made more and more money from that course. So but I could have built that course for six months and then when I went to launch it, no one would have bought it. Potentially, that can happen.
0: Or just those eight people. Right. Or just those eight people bought it and you would have been, you know, six months into it at that point.
1: That's very true. And then so it would have been very disheartening. So Mm -hmm. it's really important. That's how you can shortcut a lot of these things and if I did that with my video business, if I tried to sell it before I, I quit my job and you know, made that big leap of faith, I would have saved myself a year of heartache because no one, I would have made that really fast and no one really wanted this. Right. And you know, I could have worked on something more profitable and saved a year of my life.
0: Feed a starving crowd. I love it. Okay. Let's transition now, Robert, to my so many questions. Are you ready?
1: Oh, I'm ready if you are.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm always ready. All right. So let's begin With a bit of philosophy, something that I like to call your money mantra, what is your money mantra, Robert, that helps to keep your finances, your business in a safe place and growing?
1: Well, my one's a bit different to what everybody else always tells you. So, you know, I did my MBA and in my finance major, they always taught me to conserve cash and, you know, stretch out your supplier's payments as much as possible and try and get paid as fast as you can. What I've been doing over the last six months, which is working amazingly for me, is actually paying my suppliers in full and up front. I know this might shock you as a, as a finance expert, a but risky. it's actually, yeah, it's actually um, a real different way of approaching things. And the reason why I'm doing it is really because of the law of attraction. I feel that um, as I've been paying people up front and in full and not bargaining their price down... I found that my clients are treating me the same way and I'm getting that same kind of respect. And it's a very different way of approaching it and it's definitely not for everyone. Like, I mean, if you're on your last dollar, then please don't <laughs> go and spend thousands of dollars on that you don't have. But I found this is working really well for me and my clients aren't barging me down. They're, they're paying the full rate that I'm asking for and upfront. And I find it's just a really nice relationship going both, back and forth both ways.
0: Yes, um, well, I mean, have you had any Risk with this. I mean, it sounds like I would be a little. I'd have some trepidations paying, um, you know, vendors or any anyone in full ahead of the project.
1: Normally, these are normally vendors that I've worked with for a while that I know and trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, like there is, there's always some risk if you pay in full and not in installments. Definitely, absolutely. But I haven't had that issue yet, which I've been very fortunate.
0: So, if you had to summarize this in a sentence, what would be the catchphrase? What would be the money mantra?
1: I would say pay in full, and then you'll get paid in full as well.
0: Hmm. Pay in full. Trust. Have the faith. Have the trust. Pay in full.
1: And you will receive.
0: Yes. All right. I like that. All right. Let's go down memory lane a bit and capture little Robert for us. Uh, A money moment, a money memory that you had that was significant, that necessarily shaped the way that you now as an adult think about money and act with money. Perhaps it was in your childhood. Maybe it was more recent, but it was a pivotal financial moment. Take us there.
1: Well, do you guys have car boot sales in in the US?
0: Car boot sales. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. Describe it to me.
1: Well, in Australia, we've got a thing called a car boot sale. So what you do is there's a certain, it's like a Sunday every couple of months. And you drive up to your local school and Whatever you can fit in your car, you can park the car in the car park and you sell things out of the back of your car.
0: Hmm. Well, I guess we have garage sales. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's kind of like a portable garage sale. Yes. There you go.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so we call it a car boot sale. You just you know, go into your boot and sell whatever you can fit in your boot on the day and everybody comes and you can go around to all the different cars. And, and buy a boot these.
0: is a trunk? Yeah, like a okay, trunk. Okay. Okay. I'm learning. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, so yeah. So it's a car trunk sale and so we, when I was a young kid, we used to go to these things a bit and what people generally do at a car trunk sale, they would go to, you know, take all the worst things that they've got in their garage and put it in their boot and try and sell like old books and old toys that no one uses anymore and things like that. What I did with my dad, my dad was selling these beautiful brand new flashlights and battery, like really long-lasting batteries, very high quality. And so we loaded up our trunk with that. And we were selling like brand new flashlights, like $30, $50, that kind of price point. And I remember after the first day of doing this, our trunk was the most successful one. We had the most people come to ours, and we were selling the most at the highest prices. But we sold $1,000 in one day. And everybody else might sell like $100 or $200 worth of stuff that no one wants. And so what I learned from that was that even if you go to a place where people don't expect to pay a lot of money, if you're selling something that's good and of very high quality, you can charge a premium, and people are happy to pay that. And I learned that when I was seven years old. So that was a, a very early—that's one of my most earliest memories of selling anything, and it was just such a nice experience to to be able to generate that kind of income at such a young age. Um, I got a bit sick of it after a while, to be honest with you. Like, how many times can you sell torches on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon? <laughs> but, well, what would you do
0: with uh, the money? That's, that's a very, lot of money for a seven-year-old. I'm sure you split it with your family, but what, that's a lot of money. At least you're in – you know, what? the good thing about a trunk sale is you get to – you get to drive off with that money, and, and people are probably be chasing you down for that
1: thousand dollars. It sounds like a lot, but then you like you got to first of all you got to pay back the the cost of the product, so that's maybe half of right, it. Yeah. You've got five people with you, so it gets, gets spent pretty thin. But yeah, yeah. It's just the money. It's, you know, for a seven-year-old making, you know, 50 bucks a day or $100 a day, it's good money at that age. Oh,
0: my God. My allowance was like $3 when I was seven. And I had to, like, do a lot of chores for that. So I would have been very happy with anything higher than <laughs> that, that I would just have to, you know, sell flashlights to earn. That's
1: what I've kind of done my whole life. So even when I was in my teenage years, like, my friends would be stacking shelves at the local supermarket for $5 an hour. And, you know, I did a DJ business where I was making $50 an hour. So... I've always tried to do things where I've never taken like the lowest paying base job ever. I've always tried to do things where it's a bit above my level and i would get paid more for that. That's just been my, my mantra, so to speak the whole way through my life. Just always do something that's the next level up from where you actually are right now.
0: It reminds me of a saying where, you know, not only you should do the work that kind of elevates your skills, but you should hang out with people that elevate you. Right? So I think I've, I've heard it many times now from multiple people, but you are the average of the five people you spend most of your day with, most of your time with. And excluding, of course, your family, because I mean, I spend all, like, all my day with <laughs> my family, but I guess in a professional circle, who are the five people that you spend uh, most of your professional life with? Uh, and think about that, I because mean, those people are really ultimately the, your influences. And if you don't like those people or they're not influencing you in the way that you want to be influencing you to get out of that circle. And it sort of sounds like with you, you know, you're always looking for improving yourself. And in order to do that, you need to challenge yourself and take on those harder opportunities.
1: I actively agree with that. And I I actively implement that advice that you just spoke about because you do hear that a lot from a lot of people. However, a lot of people don't take action on that. Like, for example, I was in Hollywood in September last year. And I went out of my way to get invited to a private business networking function. And the average person there was earning, oh, just, just really, like there was no one that had less than a million dollar business there. Like there were people there that had $10 million businesses, $100 million businesses. And I was getting access to these people and hanging out with them and yeah. just talking shop. And it's so nice to be able to, to see people at that level. And maybe if your level is $20,000 a year, you might try and find people that are doing $50,000 or $100,000 a year. Yeah, it doesn't have to be with multi-millionaires, but right. it's all about just taking that next level and being actively seeking out to, to hang out with those people.
0: Yes, yes. Well, um, that's a really good memory, and I, and I love that uh, you had some early success with making money. I think that is a memory that will that obviously will stay with you for a very long time. And I liked your takeaway there, that uh, even when you go into a market where you think people are only going to want to spend pennies or just a couple bucks... If you bring something that has quality, that probably you gave a good story behind that flashlight too when you were selling it. Maybe I don't know.
1: <laughs> we did. did yeah. This flashlight, you could drive a car over yes. it and it wouldn't break.
0: <laughs> yeah, you probably did a whole demo. <laughs> um, I can only totally imagine. A demo, yeah, but
1: um, they, they took our word. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and, and it was true. Like it, it actually, there was a lot of tests and things like that that you could drive a car over this flashlight and it wouldn't break. That's why it was so popular. Well, because I would
0: buy this flashlight.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you? Because the last thing you want is, uh, you know, if it's a pitch blackout, you don't want to have a flashlight that doesn't work. So you want the most robust, strongest one that's going to be there when you need it.
0: Yes, yes, certainly. Well, let's fast forward a little bit from uh, Robert, age seven, to more uh, modern age Robert. Talk about a financial failure that you had. I, I suspect, you know, with your with your sort of cycle of business, uh, there are some home runs and then there are some failures. What would you call a financial failure that you experienced and what did you learn?
1: Look, I think um, I spoke a bit earlier about that video business that I started up and that was a a real tough time for me and my wife because I had this huge corporate paycheck. Like I was very, very successful in the corporate world. And then I, I did this video business and it went really bad. Like I mean, I didn't lose money, but I, well, I, I had a massive pay cut from where I was at and I worked double the hours and earned you know, like a, a small fraction of what I was earning in the corporate world. And that was not just a huge financial blow, but it was a huge personal blow because I'm an overachiever. So for me to fail in a business just was not good at all and it was a huge dent in my confidence. And what I really learned from that was that just to really make sure that I was feeding a starving crowd with any new business venture that I would go into make sure that I was selling something that people wanted to buy because it's pretty devastating to run a business where no one wants to buy what you're selling. Mm
0: -hmm. How do you test the market though, to really be confident about that?
1: Look, there's a few ways you can do it. Um, I can give a real, real nice, easy example that people can take away. What, what you can do is most categories that you would sell a product in are already on Amazon. So for example, um, if you want to sell like a a book about finance, right? You have got a book about finance or you want to do a course on finance. So what you would do is you go to Amazon, you look at the top 100 finance books that are already on the market. And then you look at the three-star reviews for all those finance books. Because you don't look at the one-star reviews or the five-star reviews because those reviews are normally pretty skewed either way um, with bias. But if you look at a three-star review, that's normally a review that someone's read the book and they've said, okay, there's some good things in this book, but there's some improvements that can be made. And then you look at, all of the three star reviews in your category. And what you'll find is that there's quite often some very, very consistent things that keep coming up. So in my category, which is marketing, when I looked at the marketing books, people were saying that the information in these books were just too general. So, you know, um, they'd give you just real general advice like start a Facebook fan page or write a blog or, you know, right. um, build a website. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you, know, you start a new blog, like who's gonna read it? You know, well, how are you going to, like, even if you've got a blog, how are you going to make money off that blog? How are you going to sell things off that blog? The so people were very frustrated that a lot of the advice was too general. And there were a lot of other things they were upset about as well. Like, for example, they'd pay 30 bucks for a book, but they could have gone to Google and got that same information for free just by searching. And that makes people really annoying. Like, nothing worse than wasting money on a book when you could have got the information for free. So when I wrote my book, Feed the Starving Crowd, I made absolutely sure that i wrote down these top 10 pain points that people kept complaining about in the amazon reviews and i made sure that my book had none of that stuff in it so like my book's got no general advice like it's 227 specific exact step-by-step strategies on how to do things with online marketing and like none of it can be found for free on google because it's all my private campaigns that i've ran for my clients that you just can't go into google and see Robert Curie marketing campaign, you know, just can't do that. It's not there. And so, like, I think with any category, you can, like, I've trained clients in this in the health, finance, fitness industries. Um, I had a landscape gardener that did this. I had a guy that teaches guitar lessons, you know, <laughs> he did this strategy. Like, it works in pretty much any, stra- any industry that you can find on Amazon, which is pretty much all the industries. And so that's a way that you can really verify that, people are upset with what's currently out there, and then you can just find those gaps and then fill it in with whatever product or service you're providing. It doesn't have to be a book or a course. It can be any kind of product.
0: I love it. The three star pain points. Find those gaps, fill them, that's your product. I love it. I should have done that. Anyone can
1: do it. Yeah, Anyone can do it. It In your industry, it worked amazingly because there's so many finance books
0: and
1: people have a lot of complaints about the other ones out there for sure.
0: I might even just call it you know, Farnoosh's Financial Secrets, the three-star gaps filled. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'd be a bestseller. Oh
0: my gosh, that's brilliant. I mean, I'm not not—I'm not being facetious. I think that is actually very brilliant and so simple to do. And um, if only authors knew to do that, that's that, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who didn't know. I think that's a, that should become standard of practice.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it took me a long time to come up with that. And it's, it sounds so simple, but it's so powerful and no one does it.
0: Well, that's so money. Except for my clients. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, I like that we ended on a high note there. And let's transition now to an even better note, which is your so money moment, Robert. A time in your life where, you know, we just went from failure. We want to talk about success now. A, a time in your life where you really feel like you nailed it, uh, financially speaking. Take us there.
1: This is a good one. We... Well, I used to work at a, a Fortune 500 photocopier company. It's a well-known household name brand, and I was in the sales department. This is about probably eight or nine years ago now. And so I was very successful, and one day the national sales manager came in and said, look, we're going to have a competition today. Um, we're going to give all of you $10,000 of cash up front um, to sell 30 photocopiers in the next three months. So if you think you can sell 30 photocopiers in the next three months, you can have $10,000 cash today. And he had the security guard next to him with all the, the big water cash. And um, if you felt that you could sell 30 photocopiers, you just signed the form and you took the cash that day in advance, the commission in advance. And I don't know about you, but having $10,000 in your hand feels quite nice. Mm-hmm. And it was a really It was a really interesting day because I was quite scared and excited at the same time because I felt, if you didn't sell those 30 photocopiers, you had to give the cash back at the end of the three months. And you know, the last thing you want to do is once you've got your hand to that kind of money to is to give it back. So that was a real pivotal moment in my life. And, you know, for those next three months, I've never worked so hard before in my whole life to make sure that I kept the money. And I did keep it.
0: That's um, great. So
1: I, I made sure that I did, you know, I overachieved and I was able to do that. So it was a really big moment. It's uh, not a moment that you have every day in your life to, to get that kind of income.
0: Psychologically, that's brilliant. I mean, to do that, uh, that's quite a motivation. That's almost kind of like what you do. you give your, you give your vendors, you give your, your employees the money up front, and hopefully they fulfill their end of the deal. Um, it's pretty motivating unless and if they don't, they probably have to, you know, give it back or give some of it back, right?
1: Well, yeah. Like I, didn't, like every every vendor that I have, I have different agreements in place with. And look, you need you need to have you need to have expectations about what you're looking for. Like I would never just give a vendor ten thousand dollars and say, you know, try and help me, please. <laughs> 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 you know, I've, I've got very clear expectations of what I'm asking for and, and what the deliverables are. And generally speaking, I I'm pretty good at selecting the right people to work with yes, and, yeah. and getting the best results out of them because I've been doing this a long time now. So. I think once you get to a stage where you can trust people and you know what they're capable of, it's such a nice liberating feeling not to bargain with people, like try and screw them down to, you know, if they, they quote you $500 and you try and screw them down to 480 like that's not a, you know, you're trying to work with this person they're trying to help you grow your business. Mm-hmm. Like why would you screw them down to the last every set, you know, every last cent to, right. to try and get them to work with you? I'd rather pay them what they're asking for so they're happy and pay them in full so that they know they're getting paid then they can just focus on giving you the best possible result.
0: And how did that $10,000 change your life? Uh, what did you do with it?
1: I put it straight. Well, in Australia, it's quite interesting. We've we got a, a government law that if you put $10,000 in the bank in cash, they you know they want to check you out and all that kind of stuff. <laughs>
0: Are so, you with the mob? Yeah. They're
1: like, where did you get that much cash from? Yeah. You know, it's a, there's a whole government law around that. So I didn't put whole exact amount in the bank i think i put nine thousand dollars in the bank and i kept a thousand dollars just to spending money and so i, I put that straight against my mortgage and it just gave a nice big dent in my in my home mortgage which was great because i never had that money to begin with and i thought well if i just just park that straight in the mortgage reduce my repayments and i can get you know even closer to owning my home
0: awesome very very cool story that is so money. Let's talk about habits now, Robert. Uh, a so money ritual, a financial ritual that you practice that helps to keep your finances and your business uh, in concert and doing well and where the keeping the money where it needs to be.
1: What I do as I drive into work in the morning, I normally get to work a bit after eight. And at 7.59 every morning, there's a guy called Ross Greenwood here in Australia. He's a finance commentator, very well-respected. And he's got a one-minute segment on The Alan Jones Show, who's another really well-respected radio commentator here in Australia. I just love listening to that segment every morning because he just keeps you up to date with where the markets are at, what, like, what the major couple of events are that are affecting the financial markets. I feel like just by being, having access to that information every morning, that just kind of keeps me on the right foot. And I know before the day starts what's happening and, and what's going on in the world. I feel that's a great habit that
0: I've got. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I always say, you know, um, your habits don't have to be super sophisticated. For me, a habit is just sometimes going on Twitter and following my favorite financial um, know-it-alls, you know, my financial Mm -hmm. experts, to see what they're reading, what they're focused on, what their insights are. It's good to just, you know, uh, even if it's just passive, you're doing this over lunch, uh, but having that, that interaction, that, uh, that uh, connection to something financial every day, I think is good. Because money is abstract. And unless we kind of con- uh, actively and consciously make an effort to remind ourselves of, you know, at least what's happening in the world about money, I think that's, that's a smart smart habit. Great. Okay, we're almost done here, Robert. So money, fill in the blanks. This is the the finale where I start off a sentence and you finish it, first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Okay. All right. If I won the lottery tomorrow, I would... Give it away immediately. You're not the first person who's said that. I'm always, always blown away by people who's... That's their, that's their instinct. You would give it all away. Where would you give it away to?
1: I'd give it to a few different charities of my choice, but the reason is because I didn't earn it in the first place and... I wouldn't value it as much as if I owned it myself. And plus, you know, your listeners probably know this, but there's a lot of studies out there showing that most people that win the lottery end up worse a few years later than they were before they started it. I think that having all that money and everyone knew that you had all that money would just not be a great feeling at all. You just attract the wrong kind of people into your life and Mm. you don't have a feeling of deservedness. So that's why I would give it all away put it to good causes where it can help people. And yeah, i like to earn money the right way by, by serving and, and helping people transform their lives.
0: Well, you mean like going to the cookie mart and buying a scratch ticket is not, is not effort. I don't, I don't get it.
1: Uh, well, actually it's really good because it, it pays, it makes me pay less taxes. You know, <laughs> so I'm, it's, it's a great service to society to do True. that. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah. not to mention you get the tax benefit. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is Private
1: Pilates lessons.
0: All right. How long have you been doing that?
1: I've been doing it for three months now. And look, it's not cheap to have my own private teacher. And I know that like, it might be out of reach for a lot of people to, to get your own private teacher. But I'm, I'm the kind of person that if I go to a group class or I watch it on a TV show... I just don't do it right. Like I never know how to do the right moves, and so I find that when I've got my own private teacher, I get so much more benefit out of the class. And I'm—I can almost touch my toes now, which is—I wow. I was just barely getting past my ankles before I started this, and now just in three months, I'm getting very, very close to touching my toes, which is a very exciting moment for me.
0: <laughs> no, and I know, and not to be um, gender biased, but I do—I have taken i have taken yoga for years, and I know for men, at the beginning, it can be a lot more challenging, the flexibility. And I think uh, I think that's a great accomplishment. I think that is a huge milestone, so congrats. Thank you, I can't is, wait for the day. Yeah, you can't wait for the day?
1: Yeah, when I can touch my toes, I'm gonna to post it on Facebook.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna start following you now on Facebook. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on, perhaps too much, but I really enjoy it. I like
1: eating at nice restaurants. It's just, I know it's expensive and I know that, you know, you can buy the same ingredients and cook it at home for a lot less. But I just like the experience of going to a place where I know the chef has put the time and effort into making a a beautiful dish that tastes great from a good source.
0: I did a story several years ago when uh, it was like one of the hottest summers in New York and everybody was eating out because of the air conditioning. (laughs) But more than that, it was also the time when shows like Top Chef and Uh, Food Network were really um, taking over and becoming very, very popular. And there was one food analyst or restaurant industry expert who told me that eating out is not just about the food anymore. It's about the experience. And it's like going to a concert. It's like going to a Broadway show. It's entertainment, right? So you spend money on the meal, but it's really also maybe getting to meet the chef or seeing who else is at the restaurant and the whole ambiance. So i I feel you. I, I'm I living in New York. I mean, look, I, I can't. I can't. There's no way around it. <laughs> you're gonna <getting>, you're <laughs> gonna eat out. You're going to be tempted to eat out, and um, you know we all are guilty of this. I think this is the most common response I get to this question: is that I eat out a lot, but I enjoy it. And you know what? If you enjoy it, and it's and it's not gonna you know um, uh, hinder your retirement account, I I say you know enjoy it while you can. Very true. The one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is... How to make
1: growing trees.
0: (laughs) Right. I hear that. And finally, I'm Robert Coory, and I'm so money because...
1: I feed starving crowds.
0: I love it. Everybody, buy the book, Feed a Starving Crowd. It is an essential read if you're looking to start a business in any market. And like I said earlier, and Robert explained quite eloquently, you can do this with very little money. I mean, he gave us one tip that I, I'm going to start practicing. I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to read those three-star reviews and see where I can fill the gap. Thank you so much, Robert. Tell us where we can learn more about you and follow you and and, and, uh, and stalk you.
1: Yeah, look, if you come to feedastarvingcrowd.com, um, your listeners can get a free copy of the book, Feed a Starving Crowd, so they can start to learn these principles for themselves. And if they're looking to start a business, or even if they've got a business and they want to ramp it up and make more profits in it, they can read the strategies in the book and apply them and get some great results. So feed a starving All
0: right. Will do Robert. Thank you so much. And um, have a wonderful rest of the year.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Robert, check out his website, feedastarvingcrowd.com. That's where you can get your free copy of his book or follow him on Twitter at Robert Curry. We've got all of this information, of course, at somoneypodcast.com along with the transcript and comments from our talk. As always, I want to hear from you. Submit your question about money, work, life, guests. Head over to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and there's a very good chance I'm going to respond to your inquiry or your comment this weekend or the following weekend. You can also tweet me at Farnoosh, hashtag so money. And as a reminder, every week I draw one name to join me for a 15-minute one-on-one money session, one-on-one, you and me over Skype. And how you can qualify for this is to go on iTunes, leave a review, and then let me know you've left a review. Email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. I select one new reviewer every week to get a 15-minute money blitz with me. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope your day is so money.